everybody's doing amazing out there. Um, I just want you to know all of my fam who is tuning into this podcast, every single one of y'all have been on my mind. And I say that because every day I have been processing all of these new things that we have learned, all the things that we didn't know before and that we are hopefully evolving in ourselves, within ourselves. And I take it right down to my podcast and wonder what kind of things am I learning or need to learn that my fam would want to know now. So I want to start off by saying that you guys rating and reviewing the podcast is so important because I read every one of your comments and it helps me to kind of take a survey over what things that has been helpful to you and where I can expand more in. So today I'm doing a specific podcast with a very special guest because I don't know the answers to this. So I'm very excited to have Dr. Tama here to join us. She is a poet a psychologist, and a minister, which is such an interesting meld of talents. Can you explain to me just really briefly how you kind of came to be? Yes, absolutely. First, thank you for having me and for creating space for this important conversation. And I am uh, a multidisciplinary, uh, multiple gifts and interests. And one of the things that was liberating for me, uh, because often people who meet me in one path they think that's all I should do because they say, you're really good at that. Why waste your time on this right. other thing? And then my mom one day said to me in my early 20s, single gifted people will rarely understand multi-gifted people. To them, you will look scattered. So just be everything that you are. Ooh. Right. Let's start with the word minister. Yes. 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 So that was so freeing because people who saw me do spoken word are like, oh my goodness, you're like this slam poet. You should just be that. But people who see me in psychology say you should just be that. So it's like releasing all the shoulds in every gift that you have, activating it, utilizing it, living from it. And uh, that's fulfilling for me. Wait, that's already a word, girlfriend, because especially in my culture, you're taught and guided to focus on one thing. That's you know, right. Like if you're going to college, you got to pick one box. Yes. And I remember actually one of the most daunting things that made me not continue my college education was I didn't like just one of the things. I wanted to learn about U.S. history. I also wanted to learn about finances. I also wanted to learn about communications. And so, man, that's, that's really relieving. And you're right. When you think about it today... I don't know anybody who just has one job. I definitely don't know somebody who has one talent, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that's actually very helpful to hear if you're a mom too, because your mom is the ultimate job of them all. But in those places of your own personality, there are things that you could exercise in your talent and maybe build a business from so that you're, you don't feel that you're just one thing, which is a lot of moms sometimes struggle with, I hear. So yes. that's so cool. Amazing. Yeah, and, and it's one of those things where sometimes you'll get to do them at the same time, which is like a beautiful moment. I teach at Pepperdine and I created an elective on expressive arts therapy. So then I could talk about the arts and talk about therapy at the same time. But sometimes, you know, you will weave in and out of those different places. And one of the things that's exciting about our time is that many people are now doing second careers or third careers. So teaching in the graduate school, there are people who did maybe their safe choice first or what was going to, uh, their parents supported. So, you know, they were teachers or lawyers or what have you. And they said, well, you know, I really always wanted to be a therapist. And so now, you know, they're coming to school to become therapists. So to know we can either integrate them or at different seasons in your life, you can get back to those dreams. So 
uh, a little while ago, I was talking to Nick Cannon, who we yeah. know is an amazing entertainer and also an artist. But he told me he was going back to school for, I think it was psychology. Ah. And I was like, yo, that's crazy because I'm fascinated by the mind, learning how the human mind works, and now moving into understanding more of mental strength and health and wellness. That's right. And I'm like, why can't you go to school and learn those things? Like that's, it, it was really cool to hear that, especially for somebody who's from my same field of work, you know? So yes. I applaud you on that. Oh, well, today thanks. I'm probably going to flex some of all three of your muscles all when right. it comes Sounds to good. my questions. <laughs> and, you know, um, particularly with everything that we are now learning with the issue of racism, and, and, and I'm saying learning because I feel like nobody should ever say, especially non-Black people, nobody should ever say we have learned enough. We know it all. Like we mm -hmm. should continuously learn about yes. that subject. I know I am for sure. Yes. And at the same time, there's a lot of events that have happened over the last few weeks that are unbefore seen, unlike anything we've ever seen before mm -hmm. in this timeline, in my timeline. Now, I've read about these protests. I've seen the Million Man March. I've seen things like this. But I have friends that have attended protests where they've seen human bodies flying across the air in, in different assaults. Um, I posted just recently on my Instagram three different people who were really discouraged on how to talk to people about racism. So I divided my kind of overall time with you into three sections. One, people who have been racially assaulted or discriminated against, how do you deal with that trauma? Mm -hmm. Number two, for people who have seen and been a part of some of the traumatic and sometimes violent events to protest for what they believe in, how do we process that trauma? And number three, for those who are discouraged, defeated, frustrated, angry, hateful towards the people who don't believe in racism, who don't believe Black Lives Matter, and have had to do some severing of these friendships and relatives, how do you deal with that? So let's start first with the first one, discrimination. And, and obviously, um, I want to ask you about your own experience. Have you experienced things like that? And how do you process that into your mind to not turn into a, you know, an angry person that can putrefy your own life and your own peace of mind? So I want to first appreciate you naming this piece of lifelong learning, it being a continuous process, um, because we talk about in psychology something called cultural humility, which is mm. not getting to that arrogant place of like, I read one book and now like I know everything, or I went to one protest and now I have it, or I have one black friend and now like I'm, I'm the expert on all things. That and last so, one. Right. So yeah. to really come into the space of addressing uh, racism uh, from a place of humility and, and continuous learning. Uh, and then in terms of the experience of racism, uh, I definitely uh, have experienced it. And for those who are listening to the audio, not seeing the video, I'm an African-American woman. I uh, grew up in Baltimore. Thank you for making that clear. <laughs> right, right. Oh, my God. Yeah, Thank you. Like, who, who is this woman? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it, and it goes throughout childhood, adulthood, uh, in work, in school, and in interactions with the police. And so I want to name for those who have had those experiences that, in fact, it can be traumatic even when it is common. You know, we have like these uncommon experiences um, of the intense violation caught on film, but we also have what are called microaggressions. So those are like the daily- Expand flight. on this word because this yeah. word is trending right now. Please expand. It is expand. so important for people to be aware of because often people only want to, well, traditionally only want to name it racism if, it, if someone is, you know, a card-carrying member of the KKK, 
and they called you the N-word as they punched you, then maybe we'll call it a hate crime. But other than that, then people want to assume like that this doesn't exist, but it is in uh, these daily slights. It can be in name calling, in erasure, and people's sense of entitlement even to your body. You know, you think about, uh, for me as a young black woman, uh, white men feeling comfortable to come up and grab my hair and to know like what would happen if a black, if my father went up and grabbed their daughter's hair. Uh, and it just, it would be a, uh, a tragedy. Um, and so this sense of the varying levels of experiences of um, uh, when you enter into a space and people by your physicality, by your skin color, think of you as a threat or feel intimidated by you, that even when you express your feelings, that now that is problematic. When we talk about that label of the angry black woman, well, what are people angry about? Right? What are the outrageous things? And sometimes people are more um, upset with the person, with the victim who is upset than the violation that has made them mm -hmm. upset. And so we want to be really careful even about racial gaslighting. And so we think about gaslighting in domestic violence and in terms of manipulation of people right. trying to make Can it you seem refresh? like... Can you refresh what gaslighting is? Yes, I will. So gaslighting is a form of manipulation where uh, an abuser will try to make the victim feel like they're crazy. And by denying events, by trying to uh, change what they have said or what they have done, and it's a, it's a manipulation strategy. And so that is sometimes what happens with racism, where people will do something that is offensive, that is problematic. But if you get upset about it, now you're the problem. Now it's, so the way that gets phrased is, why do you all keep talking about it? As if we are the ones by talking about it that are making it wow. happen, Wow, just right? putting that phrase made me exactly picture all those times, yes, I understand. Right? right, so you see it happening and then when you, the person naming it becomes the problem instead of the actual behavior. Wow. So when these events happen, uh, it can make you depressed. And one of the things that happens, uh, particularly for racial and ethnic minorities, is often we have not had the space or permission to own or acknowledge a feeling of depression. So instead, one of the ways depression shows up is irritability. So then you think about that stereotype of people saying we have a bad attitude, yeah. right? But yeah, underneath yeah. the attitude is the, is the despair, right? But people often right. don't have compassion for someone who is irritable or on edge. And so we can show up with irritability, with depression, with anxiety. So many people have talked to me uh, in the last few weeks in particular about difficulty sleeping, uh, difficulty focusing or concentrating, um, becoming super vigilant, so very guarded or cautious. Um, mm -hmm. And so when people say like, why aren't you all trusting? Well, look at the reality. You have a lot of reason to ask questions and not to be sure about people's motives. Uh, and then some people have numbness. So if you ever talk to someone and you say like, how are you? And usually our automatic answer is fine, but you look in the eyes and you know like the person is not fine, but they have yeah. kind of checked out in order to just get through the moment. And I especially have this for um, racial and ethnic minorities who currently work in predominantly white spaces um, because not feeling safe to really share what you feel and also professionally trying to get through the day uh, needing to mask, right? Needing to mask the sadness or the depression or the anger. Um, and so all of these feelings come up. We think about 
post-traumatic stress disorder, and this is an important um, piece, is PTSD was developed looking at veterans once they came home from battle. So we would say, you go to war, you come home and you recover. Well, what happens when it's continuous traumatic stress, right? So how can you heal from something you are still in? Then we're talking more about coping and managing and maintenance, but we're not really in recovery because the danger is still present. And that is why one of the differences uh, when we think about uh, racial terror and trauma is not only coping, but resistance. And so that is, a, or activism. So what no, a lot no, of people okay. right, are seeing is, um, is a sense of empowerment because the point of oppression is to make you feel powerless. And so to come out in numbers and march and speak and make demands or to run for office or to create a petition or you know working for change can be therapeutic because it reminds you that you do have power and it reminds you that you are not by yourself. So that collective part, social support, is an important part of healing. So I would encourage those experiencing racism, developing some safe friends. So safe friends are people who you don't have to prove anything to. You don't have to convince them. You know, because some people, you tell them about experiences of racism and they'll say like, are you sure? Well, I know they didn't mean it. You know, this minimizing and so it is, uh, it makes it worse. It multiplies the problem. And so it's important to find friends who can hear you, who can support you, who are not gonna interrogate you. Um, and, and to validate. Yes, yes, so important. Because sometimes you're in these spaces and it's like, what in the world is happening? Like, did that just happen? Did they just say yeah. that to me? And so uh, to create those communities, um, in those spaces where you can be real about how you feel. Because I would say even within minority communities, we often still mask, right? And so, you know, when I talk about this, I, the, my identity as a minister, that sometimes as soon as you ask a person, how are you? They'll say blessed, right? I'm blessed, I'm blessed. <laughs> it's like, that's beautiful. And like, you can be blessed and stressed actually, right? <laughs> Yeah, you can. <laughs> right, right. You know? Wait, I want to. I want to ask you on that though, because I am am usually a cheerful yes. person, and for some reason, I think people feel that they can, they need to just respond cheerfully in return. Mm -hmm. Even though I do front yeah. all the time. If I'm doing, if I'm doing dealing with a lot of shit, I really yeah. don't want to put that on you. Mm -hmm. And I think you want a happy response for me, so I don't. I don't, right. I don't want to put my, my, I don't want to dampen my mood so that you have to dampen yours. So I want to ask you, what is the right way to ask somebody how they're doing? If you say, you see in their eyes that it's not right. so great, or you know, with everything going on, it's not great or whatever your conscious yes. clues tell you, how yes. do you ask the question to draw that person to feel encouraged to tell you more and that you're yes. willing to listen and that you're a friend, you're an ally. How do you ask that yes. question? So they don't so, just go, you know, I'm fine. I'm blessed. Right, right. So I was like, right? maybe instead of the automatic question of how are you, because people don't even think they give the automatic answer, you know, to say with everything that's going on, how are you managing? Right? That calls for a different. Somebody write that down. Right. I'll write that down. Yeah. With everything that's with going everything. on, mm -hmm. how are you managing? So you're immediately addressing that this is a right. safe space. I'm asking you specifically. Yes. Wow. And that actually fits into anything. If a person is going through divorce. Yes. Or a change in atmosphere. That's right. Or, depression. That's right. Wow. That's yeah. good. 
And, uh, and also I will say uh, transparency can be contagious. So like you were saying, if you're like super gr grateful and up, then people feel like they have to match it. Yeah. But, you know, in those moments, in those spaces, when I say like, you know, let's say with COVID, like this is a lot that I'm working from home and I have two kids who are doing school online. And so just by naming that, it gives people permission to say like, yeah, it's a lot, right? It's because really if good. not, sometimes we go into this competing or comparison, especially like with the whole social media thing that people see uh, other folks online. And of course, what we present is a moment. People are capturing a moment of their day. And the highlight reel. Right, it's the highlight reel. So it's like, don't try to live in the highlight reel, you know? Mm. Uh, so yeah, transparency can be contagious. And then sometimes like just giving the real pause and asking again and looking people in the eyes because they don't, people often don't know, are you really asking, right? Because sometimes people ask you, but they don't really want to know. Right. Like you're saying, like they, they don't want to be bothered. But if yeah. someone then follows up with like, no, really, how are you doing? Right. Then that's like a deeper question. Now, I do need to say, um, because so many people now are trying uh, to figure out what they can do around racism. And so uh, there were messages going around, particularly for white people, like, have you checked on your friends of color? So some people of color have talked about people who are not really their friends checking on them and that feeling uh, intrusive in some ways. I know people can feel like a bind of like, I don't want to just be silent, but also if you don't have a real relationship with this person, um, they may not feel safe to give you a full answer about yeah, how they're okay doing. and it's okay to acknowledge that that may not feel genuine yes. because yes. you're only checking on me because of the times. Right, right. Like, we're not actually friends. So mm. even in, in those moments, I would just say, if you, if you still want to do the check-in and you get a surface answer, then that I would leave. Like, I'm only digging with people I actually have relationship with or I'm in my mode as a, as a therapist or as a minister, right? I'm not going up to strangers <laughs> saying like, no, how are you doing for real, right? Cause they're like, who are you? Mind your business. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so, God, that's you so know. good. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You know what's another thing you're making me realize, Dr. Tama, is you're a psychologist and I know in a lot of minority communities and I know in the black community that the access to therapy is not it's it's not readily available, nor is it affordable, nor is it um, really accepted. Yeah. And so you're already exercising one of my favorite quotes by Eckhart Tolle, which is rather than being your thoughts and emotions, be the awareness behind them. Mm -hmm. So you are already taking that step to unpack yes. the reasons why you are valid in your thoughts and emotions. Right. And sometimes even just that, taking a psychological look into mm -hmm. to understanding why you have these emotions allow you to <sighs> okay. Right. Like, yo, like I make sense. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Instead this is of so letting it be important. Yeah. Balled up. Yeah. 
because in psychology, we have something called a decolonizing psychology. Decolonizing Decolonizing, psychology. right? Okay. Because like colonized psychology ignores oppression and says, it's up to you. Like the only thing is you in your mind. And like, it doesn't matter what's happening out there, but if you think positively and you walk in gratitude, like everything will go your way. And that is very problematic and it erases mm. that people live in society. And so the psycho- authentic psychology has to acknowledge the oppression that people live with, the systems and structures that affect their lives. And also what you named is this barrier um, to psychological services, which means uh, to decolonize psychology is also to bring the knowledge to where the people are, right? So mm. I'm not just going to sit in my place with all the information. And if you happen to have insurance or happen to have enough money, then you get the information, right? But instead, like on this podcast, you're decolonizing psychology of bringing the information to the people and removing the barrier. And so are you. I see it on your page. I see you in just micro doses of understanding the how and the whys behind things and the steps next. So I, I appreciate you for doing that as well. Oh, thank Gosh, you. That's such a good, that's such a great breakdown. So let's talk about now the things that we've seen and heard. You know, I mean, it's insane to me, but then again, it's not that, right? Social media, let's say Instagram for one just a few weeks ago was a bunch of pictures of some somebody up against the wall because your sh- booty shorts <laughs> were perfect for that pose or you're promoting, you know, you're promoting different products for your business or whatnot. And now it's crazy. We've seen some of the most graphic images um, that I haven't seen in this lifetime, but that are almost almost identical to the same images we've seen in protests and marches before where nothing has changed. Yes. So I've had many different friends who've told me coming back from protests that they haven't been able to sleep and that they feel an immense amount of guilt. These are for the non-black friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they feel an immense, immense amount of guilt and they don't know how to handle this. And, and then I have another group of people that are just really angry. So I'm going to actually play you a question from one of my fan members here. Because people burnt their jobs down, literally burnt them down. They took money from a mom that needs to feed her kids or money from somebody that needs to pay their rent on first. What they're doing is not helping the cause and not bringing justice to Mr. Floyd. It has now gone from Mr. George Floyd dying and it being sad and justice for him and bring the murderers in to let's just steal and loot and destroy everything and not give two shits who we hurt. And it's just really, really sad. Uh, Today's looks like a third world country. So if you haven't seen any of those, um, I highly recommend you Google Okay, so we obviously know where that lends to. So unpack for me, doctor, the different levels of trauma that we're all seeing. And I know this is a loaded question, so take me through it. I'm here for you. Take as much time as you need. But how do we offer some advice to the people that have seen it and are on the side to fight racism? And we'll go through whatever feats necessary to get the message across. And then people that are almost losing touch with what's 
supposed what the message is supposed to be because they're angry at the rioting and the looting. Absolutely. So there are layers to this, as you have mm -hmm. said. I know. Uh, the, the first uh, point that stood out uh, that you named uh, was uh, whites who are um, participating in the protests or seeing these images but feel guilty. And I would say um, to get stuck in the guilt or stagnant in the guilt um, is a place of privilege. Um, and so what we want to do when we have a a place of privilege or when we feel uh, upset or guilty for the injustice is to channel that, mobilize that into action to make things right. And I'll give you an example from my life um, as it yes, relates. And can you also give an example as to what you mean by a privilege feeling guilty? Yes. So um, in, I, I'm African-American, but in high school, we moved to Liberia, West Africa, because my dad was working with the church. And um, after being there for two years, there was a civil war and, um, you know, major violence, major uh, loss of life. And because I'm an American citizen, one day my dad came home and said, you know, we pack up one bag, we're leaving. Uh, today is the only day to leave. If you're a citizen, that we're going to be evacuated, right? And so I got to get on that plane, which saved my life, uh, not because I'm nicer, not because I'm kinder, not because I'm smarter, not because I'm more generous. It was because of the privilege of that passport, right? That enabled me to be able to uh, be protected. Now, I could live my life in a place of guilt because I had that privilege. Like I had fr uh, friends and loved ones and teachers and classmates who did not get that privilege to get on that plane. Right. But uh, instead of then being stuck in this place in my life of just feeling guilty, right, that survival's guilt, that I made it and they didn't, then instead I uh, apply that to my work, to my service, to my life, right? I have an obligation to live in a certain way, right, and to give back in a particular way and to raise the voice. Because when I got here, a lot of people didn't even know a war was going on. So then I have to give voice to that, right, because I have this privilege, yes? Um, Makes so, sense. Right? Yes. So not being stuck. So in other words, you can see all the racism and then we can like cry about it and feel ashamed and feel bad and like sitting your house feeling bad, but doing nothing. As opposed to, yes, this is not right. Yes, this is uh, outrageous. Yes, it is unjust. So I'm going to figure out what my role is, the things that I can do to make things better. So it, so it shifts from uh, being stuck and stagnant to a sense of responsibility and motivation, okay? Then totally it makes sense. That's that, right. and that's logical and that's healing. Yes, too. yes. That's actually healing yourself mm, from the mm -hmm. guilt and actually making you build more empathy, understanding. It's going to be such an amazing learning process, and you'll feel a part of the solution. That's always going to be better than letting the weight of the problem yes. fight you down. That's right. Yes. And then, you know, in terms of uh, people's question or statements about uh, the looting, a couple of different points. So one point is um, the way some people have responded to the looting, it communicates that they're more upset about buildings and money than about lost life. 
Now they Girl, are. Wait, no. I'm going to need you to say that again. Yes. The way some people are talking about how angry they are at these looters, but we didn't hear this same level of anger about George being killed, about uh, Sandra, Sandra Bland being killed. Like they weren't fired up then, but they're fired up about a target. They're fired up about 7-Eleven. So you really have to check yourself. So I don't have uh, an issue about people being upset about a small business owner or this kind of thing. Of course. But I just, it need, you, you, it te- it, you reveal yourself in terms of the intensity of your outrage if you are more outraged about property than you were about Black lives. So let's pause on that. The second point is some people will say, you know, uh, it's not helpful and it's not uh, appropriate or it's not acceptable. Um, It dilutes your message. Now, when people say this, it uh, ignores that for generations, people have been doing it a peaceful way and have been. So when Kaepernick took a knee, no, no fire, no looting, simply kneeling silently. That was considered problematic. So uh, people who are privileged to police, what is the appropriate way to say stop killing us? So if we take a knee, that's not okay. Um, if you're mar- even if you march it on the freeway, then people say you're disrupting traffic because now we can't get to work or we can't get to the mall, right? So really, if people are honest, some who are upset would really prefer for you to say nothing, right? Because they weren't cheering when you were kneeling. They weren't cheering really when you were marching. So let's really be honest. Let's really be honest about um, what it is, uh, and, and the privilege where you get to, um, police people's outrage and anger and what is appropriate. What is the, now here, here we go. Let me say this, uh, people predominantly white have been marching with guns for the right to go get haircuts. They were in the face of police officers with loaded weapons and and many people who are angry now were not upset with them. Uh, and now, just two more points on it. <laughs> One, please, please, girl. Please. We got time. We got time. <laughs> so, yeah, we got time. We got more than yeah. time. Yes, we yes. got patience. We got ears. We want to know. So uh, another piece is the number of people, uh, percentage-wise, statistically, who are looting or doing violent things, is, it is the minority, right? And people will say, well, those few people are ruining the movement. Well, then we ask them this, do a few bad cops ruin the police force? See, they get angry when you talk about uh, the police as an entity, right? Because they will say, um, well, there's only a few of them who did something bad and you shouldn't put them all in that box. Well, the overwhelming majority of protesters did not loot stores, right? But people, you know, you think about how easy it is to dismiss an entire movement because of a minority. So uh, I think it's important to check ourselves. And then the last thing I'll just say is um, 
there have been, uh, there's been a lot of footage released of white people who were not a part of the planning, not a part of the organization, uh, going into neighborhoods and literally spray painting Black Lives Matter. And With black inches of the face. Yes. And so, and black people trying to stop them because then who, who gets blamed for that? Who is being called a thug for that? Who is being, you know, told that they're being wild animals or don't know how to act? Um, so uh, it is, uh, there are protesters um, and then there are looters and those are often not the same people. And so uh, mm-hmm. you want to uh, think through that um, more strategically. Oh my gosh, just that compartmentalization of that is important too. Yes. You're right. And I'm going to add, it's not just tear gassing of protesters. There's also footage of bricks being placed around the city so that um, the pe- uh, protesters have access to bricks. And there's also um, severe beatings and, and um, just bullying of protesters that are on their knees yeah. and holding mm-hmm. signs and, and kids getting... And- the, and the rubber bullets doing major harm. You know, there are yeah. people who are hospitalized as a result yep. of that. Yeah. So uh, there is, and, and, you know, a question for us to just sit with is, What's that? why was it more, why was it easier to arrest thousands of people instead of the other three cops? Like that thousands of people. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm yes. closing this podcast down. Now. Like, I don't even want to, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Why? That not was, only that, why was uh, those four arrests could have stopped trillions of dollars in damage by now. And not to mention even the DA who came out and said, just so you know, the reasons why George Floyd's murderer might the reasons why he got arrested may not be what you think. He might actually get off with a lesser charge. I mean, just saying comments like that. Mm-hmm. And then not only that, but why did it take two whole months yes. for anybody to come after Ahmaud Aubrey's murderers yes. because of us reposting the video? That's right. Why did Ahmaud Aubrey, his news, get delivered to his mom as just a fluke, well, your son was involved in a robbery and, and he was in some weird mischief. So, he, you know, he, he, he was killed in a gunfight, but not any, and she, this woman didn't have any help unless we spoke up. So, yes, I, I just, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, right. Yeah. And let's it, never it, forget it could have just been that. Let's never right. forget. And by the way, this is just one story because we have social media. There are many, and many, and, many, and, many, and many more. more cases have happened, you know, even while we've been protesting. Um, so for, unfortunately, this not being a rare incident, and I do want to circle back just to the, the comment I made about police officers and be, people making the comment about only a few, um, right. it, what, what is, um, there are the, the few who would do, I'm not going to say few, I'll say the smaller number that will do like physical assaults, but what we have to also shift is the code of silence. So even those who are not uh, physically brutalizing people um, who are pressured and socialized to not break that blue line of silence um, right. and and have experienced penalties for those who have. So there have been those uh, within the force who, who try to intervene or who say this isn't okay and how are they supported or how are they erased or silenced or demonized. Um, so there are levels to the uh, to the problem. 
I, I, I greatly appreciate you for being so specific and logical about the groups of people we need to reserve space for. All right, the last concern for unpacking, which is the people that are struggling with how to speak to those that think that racism is not real, those that think racism is not an issue, those that think this is the black people's problem, those that think they caused this upon themselves. And then the us who are needing to sever with these friends, sometimes relatives, sometimes parents with people who are saying these things. What would you say to those people? Yeah. So first I would say, of course, right? (laughs) Meaning, of course, there are many people who would like to believe racism isn't real. Because if I believe racism isn't real, I don't have to do anything. Like then the reason why all of these inequities or disparities are happening are because you're lazy. So if I can believe that, there's nothing for me to do. That's that's really very easy and simple. And not only that, being aware that people are not uh, just making this up in their minds, it is what is taught to them, as you mentioned, in their families that, you know, I, ha- I will have students who, if we get a safe enough classroom, will tell the truth about what did their family members teach them about Black people, about Asians, about Latinos, like what was said mm-hmm. And this is even if they say like, you know, we respect everybody, but, you know, don't invite them to the house, but don't trust them, but uh, they cheat or they lie. And so uh, people were in Dr. Tuma, I want to also, I, I just want to add to what you just said. It's yeah. sometimes not even a statement. I noticed racial bias, implicit bias, just in, in body language. Like I remember, you know, my friends in San Francisco being gay and everything was a rah-rah party there. But if I brought them into my household or maybe into my circle of friends from San Jose, it would immediately be like a... Mm. Yeah, you know, just a weird awkwardness. Yes, that's right. That and I, can teach a, a four-year-old can pick that up. Yes, and let me—that is so true. That some people, even and I've had the experience when my daughter was little, being at the playground and having people literally pick up their child and move their child away. Like my kid is is like a four-year-old. Like what? What is you know? So the the body language is real. Uh, the facial expressions the discomfort, right? So that was, that's important to raise, not only what were you uh, told explicitly, but also what did you notice or observe about how they talk to people or don't talk to people, how they respond in a person's presence, um, and then you know what people get in the media, right? So depending on the channel, we know clearly everybody is watching a different story, depending on what they're watching. And if the only visual you're watching uh, is uh, the idea that people are just going around setting fires and stealing, then that gives you no understanding of what is really happening. Let me say, and just as a, as a point of hope, that there were protests in all 50 states. And when was the last time that we have had across states, right? Across the states, people speaking up about justice. So, an agreement and a unity. Yes. A, a yes. real, tangible unity. And, and in among the protesters, you see uh, different races, ethnicity, different 
uh, uh, education levels, different income, sexual orientation, different religions uh, coming together uh, because it is, it's actually not controversial. Like he, right, he should not have been killed. There's no, con there's no controversy there. And people, and he shouldn't be killed. And people who are responsible need to be held accountable. So this is, should not even be a debate, it should not have required all of this in order uh, for that, for us to get to this point. Um, but then you were talking about talking to people who don't believe uh, racism is real. Let me say, uh, for, for people of color, uh, first, we have to preserve our energy. And so some people are committed to not understanding you and not hearing you. And so for you to really be thoughtful and strategic in protecting your mental health, if you are pouring a lot of energy and time to someone who is committed to not hearing. That uh, time and energy could be better spent elsewhere. Now I will say for white allies, since often you're in relationship with people that uh, you're in a position to have some of these conversations, to address it when you hear the jokes being made or the dismissive comments, or you hear people saying, oh my God, I'm so sick of these you know, black looters, right? So you could in that moment just laugh with your friend or you could say something, right? Uh, and finally, what you said about when we commit to being a voice, it can cost us relationships. And um, I wanna acknowledge that in a very real way. And at the same time, note from a, from a mental health, from an emotional place, if this relationship requires my silence, are we really friends? Hold on, I, I, I'm a processor, so I gotta, if this relationship requires my silence, are we really friends? Wow, that's a beautiful internal question mm -hmm. that immediately you feel your intuition answer. Yeah. Immediately it rises. Yeah. Because here's the thing, your friend or your family member is not holding back what they think, right? They get to say what they think and feel. So you're the one having to sit there and hold the silence. And something that was liberating for me outside of the space of racism, but just on this point of relationship, is sometimes we say, I'm being silent to keep the peace. And then I had to ask myself, whose peace am I keeping? Right? Because I'm not protecting my peace. I'm in distress, but I'm silent. So I'm protecting their peace at the cost of my own mental health. I feel like what you just said is a special love note to all of my Asian American friends that are allies that struggle with being, speaking to some of their... Asian counterparts and friends and family of old generation who still think the way they do. And so it's easier to be silent in the household and to be just peaceful because Asians are taught to just keep it peaceful. Don't right. cause a ruckus. Yeah. Our culture is known to be what, what we see as passive, but what they think is peaceful. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there is a difference between peace and silence, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and I would say, you know, especially if talking about family members or elders or what have you, you may not need to do a long speech, right? Yeah. It yeah. can just be a, a seed, a statement. Like, so it doesn't have to, because I know there's the piece of respect. So I don't have to be yeah. argumentative. I don't have to give, go back and forth. 
I'm just going to say my statement and leave it. I'm just going to say my statement because already just the statement is a seed and it can shift the environment for those who are open to being shifting, shifted. Um, but I don't have to make uh, every, I don't have to constantly debate people. Mm. And doctor, is there a psychological turn when we either stay silent or don't? So say, for example, you hear something super disgraceful and disrespectful towards the black community. So you now have the option to stay silent. You're not going to see them anymore anyway. It's just Christmas dinner, whatever you think. Mm -hmm. And when you speak up psychologically, yes, does it affect us in any way? Yes. What is when it telling? When we are, um, it's about alignment or congruent or in agreement, right? So whenever my behavior and my words don't match what I feel, it's going to create internal distress. I knew it. I knew it. I knew there's something real with that boiling. Yes, that you're and that, holding. And that feeling, why is it every time in the shower, you realize, mm -hmm. why didn't I fucking say something in the right. shower? Right, yes. is when and you're like sitting there like, or when you're lying there in your pillow and you're like, right. I feel like a coward. In yeah. Internal distress. Right, Con so you're living in conflict because what your values are not aligned with your speech. Your values are not aligned with your behavior. And let me say, and your body will react to that. They're all yes. interlaced. Yes, let me, let me say uh, finally on that piece, because what you just described or the shower or later in bed lets me know that kind of you're like me in terms of that sometimes I have a delayed response. Like you have some people who are on it. Like I have a brother, if you say something to him, he's got like the quick comeback. That's not me. You know? <laughs> the clapback is so real. You were either born with the clapback or not. Nah. It's true. It's a gift. It's a gift. And we don't all have the gift. And so, uh, but the, the beautiful part is when I actually know the people is I can circle back, right? So like even sometimes you feel like I missed the moment. Well, if that was your, your aunt or your uncle or your grandfather, like you can follow up. So to not feel like because I missed the moment, it's too late, you know, to even come back and say, you know, the last time when we had dinner, you know, we had a, con we had a conversation and I've been really thinking about it. And, you know, the reason it's been on my mind is blah, blah, blah. So don't feel like if I miss the moment, <laughs> okay. Ignore that, please. It's all right. That. Yeah, just I'm because, sorry. it's all right. Just because you feel you missed a moment, some moments are redeemable. Some moments you can you can go back to. And I then never also, thought about that. You're right. Well, who says that we can't? Right. Yeah. We have this idea of like, oh, too late. Well, like if it was a stranger on the street, it's too late for that. But with the people I know, it's not too late. So wait, tell me that script. How, how you were kind of starting it, like, right. hey, the last yeah, time so we I were together. Say, the last time we were together, um, we were talking about this. And as I remember it, you said because that also gives them a chance to say, oh, that's not what I said or that's not what I meant. You said this, and that has really uh, been on my mind a lot because, and then you say whatever it is you want to say in response to that. Yeah. I mean, that sounds very sound, peaceful, yes. logical, just very like. Right. And, what it uh, is. and I would say it's important to have supports. Like if you're not a confrontational person, then like have somebody afterwards where you can go in the room and call them and say like, I did it. <laughs> right. Everybody's uh, mad, but I did it. Oh, I never thought about that. The bleachers. Right. You need the, the cheering section. Yes. Oh, yes. yeah. 
it's important to have that. And sometimes, you know, you accountability is for me. If I know I'm going to say it ahead of time, is to say to my friend, okay, I'm going over there and I'm going to say it, right? So just speaking that, getting the support, the accountability, how did it, and, and for confrontation to know like, just because they don't agree with you in the end, doesn't mean it was a failure. So you spoke truth and that in and of itself is a victory. I, Dr. Tama, I am so appreciative and thankful that God made you the way he did. <laughs> oh, I'm serious. You. The way that you just, your, your stars aligning and you pursuing in your path and discarding any parts of you that might've said, no, it's too much. You're taking on a lot, especially being a mom. I'm so thankful for all the pieces in you because your words, now I understand your Instagram bio. Like you said, poet, you said dancer, you said minister, and then of course, psychologist. And you see all of those giftings in your advice. Oh, the you poetic you. your words are, and and you also see um, just the ministry. And I hear God's words of love even in in your firmness, and then obviously your psychological um, experience and background also comes into play to help us understand and be aware of our thoughts and emotions. So thank oh, you. Oh, thank you so much. And you have such a, a beautiful heart that oh, it you. is. Yeah, it, it draws people in and it creates this place of safety for us to be able to have the conversation and not avoid it. And so I appreciate, you know, your questions, your insight, and and you um, really capturing the moment because it's so easy for us to go to distraction and uh, and people are looking for feel good and all of that. But to know the way to the other side of this is through it not avoiding it. And that's what we are doing with this conversation. I agree. Thank you so much, doctor. How do we support you? How do we follow you? How do we book you? Tell us everything. Thank you. So my website is drtama, D-R-T-H-E-M-A.com. I'm Dr. Tama on Instagram and Twitter. And please follow my podcast called The Homecoming Podcast. And it is facilitating the journey back home to yourself. Yeah. I'm following. Done. Yes, I love it. Oh my do. God. From one podcaster to another. Yes. yes. And if I can help and support you in any way, always let me know too. Oh, thank you. I definitely will. So yes. I appreciate you and yes. be blessed. I know. Thank you. And everybody, I please do follow Dr. Tama's page because it's, it's, it makes you just feel good as soon as you do a couple of scrolls. So I would absolutely encourage you to follow that and do follow her podcast and do rate and review this. The reasons why I've had such specific podcasts is because I read every one of your reviews guys, and I read all my DMs and of course your questions. And I want this podcast to be for you. I want to be useful of my privilege to have access to be able to reach out to people like Dr. Tama and be able to speak on my podcast. So please help me to do that by reviewing and letting me know what topics have been on your heart and what you find to be advisory and, and helpful to people out there, especially during these times. So thank you, Dr. Tama. I appreciate You're you welcome. so much. You have all a beautiful be rest of your day. Thank, thank you. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.